Yes, it's me, Mark Stone, and this is the Backseat Driver Podcast. It's the fastest, it's the friendliest, and it's for all the family. The Gas Shocks 116 Trophy and 120 Coupe Cup are the fastest growing race series in the UK, taking in six one-hour races and eight sprints at all the top circuits. Visit 116trophy.com to find out more and get yourself behind the wheel. I'd like to introduce to today's Backseat Driver Radio Show, Jez Parton. Now, the one thing I know about Jez and the one thing I can tell you about Jez is he enjoys his classic cars, his vintage cars, especially his Austin 7s. Jez, welcome to the Backseat Driver Radio Show. Hello, Mark. Thank you. Now, contrary to what a lot of people think, old cars are still capable of covering vast mileage, which is something you've recently proved. Um, I mean, to dr- well, uh, uh, you, as you said, you've driven from your uh, home near Worthing to John O'Groats to Land's End, back to your home near Worthing. I mean, how did all this come about? What inspired you to do this? Well, there are, uh, are three things that inspired me. Um, some people who know me have got a pla- uh, know I've got a place in France, in Brittany. Yeah. And I'm a member of the Ancient Vehicles of Breton, which is ABVA. Yeah. And they, they do a tour de Bretagne every year. And it's six to 700 vehicles. It, it is a, amazing. That's that, amazing. not being funny, Jez. That is a serious number of vehicles. Oh, yeah. And it's it's really well catered for. There's camping for everybody. There's marshals. All the routes are different each year. And it's just mind-blowing. Anyway, so... That got cancelled last year because of COVID. It got cancelled this year because of COVID. So I thought, I've got to do something. <laughs> um, you know, I was just pulling my hair out because normally I would go over to Brittany and do the Tour de Bretagne. Then there was, um, I've, I've got my eye on a Model T Ford, which yeah. is really slow. But there was one for sale in Wick, which is about 15 miles south of uh, John O'Groats. Yeah. So I emailed the guy and said, look, this is what I plan to do. If I go up on the train, buy your car, your, uh, it's a 1927 Model T Ford, um, and then I'll drive it up to John O'Groats and then drive down to Land's End and then go to Worthy. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, well, you know old cars. Um, I've taken it for 40 miles, been no problem. I've had it for 10 years, never given me any problems. But as soon as you drive off the driveway, there will be a major problem happen. <laughs> it's uh, sod's law. But not being funny, it's like when you take your car to the garage with a fault, and as soon as you get there, the fault happily hides itself until you've got the back on again. Problem, yeah, there, there is no fault, and the mechanic's looking at you thinking, what are you on? Yeah. <laughs> and and then the third thing was, um, I'm... Uh, I'm a member of the Austin Seven Friends uh, website, and uh, there was lots of debate about some of the older members have been on uh, Lands End and John O'Groats, which isn't strictly a race, but it's um, you know if you do it under 24 hours, you get a certificate, so, yeah, which is very good. But they did it in the 80s, 90s, noughties, and well, that was 20 odd years ago now. So a lot of the older 
members. I mean that. I don't mean that disparagingly to the older members, but you know that they, they don't want to do it anymore because it is it is quite a slog, you know. Well, well um, it, it's a it's a long way. I mean, it's a reasonably long way to go in a modern car, especially yeah. in using the modern roads. Well, I, I mean, fortunately, I, I didn't use any modern roads apart from well, the motorway. I only used at Edinburgh crossing the bridge there. Yeah. And when I went from Chepstow to Bristol, I went over the old seven crossing. Um, so those are the only motorways I went on. But um, um, what was the third thing? There was a third thing. I can't remember what it is now. Um, I get this every now and again. <laughs> <laughs> it's called it's called old age. <laughs> yeah, oh, thank you. I'm, I'm only 58. Yeah. Oh, you're all right. You're all right. Perchance nobody knows I'm, I've, got no. two, I've got two years on you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, so, uh, and the third, well, hang on, third thing. What was the third thing? Uh, that, that, oh yeah, that was the third thing. That was was there was a lot of debate about uh, doing the Lands End Johnny Broats, and people weren't interested. And I thought, well, you know, it's something that I would like to do. I've, you know, I can tick it off my bucket list, so to speak. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the only um, the only the the th- three things that sort of set me on the path towards uh, Johnny Broats and Lands End. Yeah. And uh, when I when I said to my wife about it, she said, "You're not expecting me to come with you." Are you? <laughs> well, no, not really. Because uh, she, she she likes me in an old car, but she doesn't like being in an old car because a bit bit um, uh, drafty, and people point at them and wave at them, and I beat my horn and I'll I'll wave at anybody that waves at me back, you know, sort of thing. So, so uh, she likes to hide in the back seat, does she? Yeah, yeah, but uh, you know, you, you haven't got much of a back seat in Nottingham. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So. Now you were saying when you set off, you set off in your 1934 Austin Seven called Poppy, but oh. uh, you 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 had to then revert to your 1936 Seven called Josie. How, how did all this come about? Well, um, I. I had planned to go in uh, Poppy. Poppy is named Poppy because originally it was going to be called Sue, named after my wife. But she said, I don't want anything to do with an old croc. <laughs> so it became Poppy because we live at Poppycroft and, you know, um, there's lots of poppies around the house. Yeah. So um, it became Poppy and I headed off on the Saturday, what day was it? On the Saturday the 22nd. Yeah. And... Um, my eldest son, his wife, and my grandson live in Radley near Oxford. Yeah. So I went there first, and then um, I left there on the Sunday morning and headed up towards uh, Coventry, and I was using all the back roads, and I, it broke down, and it did sound like a bag of spanners. Yeah. Um, so it was one of those that sounds expensive moments, was it? Well, yeah. <laughs> It's sort of like a sound I haven't heard before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I better stop, you know. Because what I've found with driving an old car any distance is that you think, oh, that rattle there, right, and you sort that out, and then there'll be another rattle appear somewhere else. So there's no point fixing rattles as you go along. But um, I digress. Um, so I got into this lay-by, um, and... Uh, I've been posting things on Facebook of my travels. So, um, Rory Dunford up in Glasgow, um, he sort of 
with him and uh, me looking at it and posting a video of how the engine sounded, he said he reckons that's the front lip. Right. Now, the front lip on the crankcase holds the front bearing for the crankshaft. So when that goes, it rattles about all over the place. Yeah. Um, so that's what we diagnosed it as. So um, the insurance company that I'm, I'm with, RH Insurance, who, you know, um, have got a free recovery service. So phone them up. Within a couple of hours, I was picked up by uh, Gabriel and his uh, low loader and uh, got back to Finden at five o'clock in the afternoon. Mm. So five o'clock in the afternoon. No doubt with a bit. No, no doubt with your wife stood outside rolling your eyes. Yes, yeah. <laughs> like I told you, you break down. <laughs> in, fa- in fact, it only invariably breaks down when Sue sits in the car. But anyway, it's, uh, it's another story. Um, so uh, I then had a cup of coffee and talked with Sue about, you know, what I was going to do. And... Uh, she said, well, you've got three options. is repair the engine, which would take at least a week, I think. There's get the engine. I've got a spare engine in the garage. Yeah. Because this is my hobby. So <laughs> I've got a spare engine in the garage. So um, I can put that in and get Poppy running. Or you can get Josie from your sister's garage. Yeah. And, uh, which Josie, which can I point out is a 1936 Hostie 7 and not a young lady. <laughs> that's it, yes, yeah. It was named after my youngest niece. So um, all, all my cars are named. I'm sorry, everybody, but, uh, you know, that's the way I am. So um, I got Josie out of the garage. Um, it's a, a Mark 1 Pearl, and um, it was running okay. So I did a quick service on it uh, Monday morning. And then left Finden about nine nine thirty Monday morning. Yeah. Then uh, off I went. So the first day uh, I travelled all the way up to York from Finden. No, not not bad for one hit, really, is it? That that's a no, reasonable no, distance. I, I mean, I did stop off a coffee and uh, hot cross bun at Windsor Castle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, a few other places I stopped. It, it, it's always a point that. When you've got an older car, you always, you know, run it for an hour, two hours, then you check whether anything's fallen off, um, <laughs> uh, and that sort of thing. So, you know, that, that's the sort of thing I was doing. Yeah. So you just take your time. And then because the roads were relatively quiet after like six, seven o'clock, they were relatively quiet. Because what I found is that most people travelling from A to B will go on the motorway and they will miss the the side roads so um that that, that's what i was doing so it ended up in york at nine o'clock so yeah so and from the the, so and i mean were you staying in hotels or were you camping or what what was your accommodation you don't tell me don't tell me you curled up in the back seat of it (laughs) um (laughs) i did once (laughs) um Normally, because um, my wife is very organised and she would have organised that, that, that you get to this point and go to a hotel and yeah. book it all up. Whereas I'm um, uh, I, I'm a bit more, um, 
well, I might not make it to there, so <laughs> in a hotel there. So just carry on running, and then all right, well, we will stop here. So uh, most of the times, I would just like when I when I got to York, it was like a case of there's a travel lodge, stop there. Have you got a room for the night? Yep, yeah, okay, and that's it. So I was I was there fine. Um, the next stop was Edinburgh. And my youngest son and his girlfriend live in Edinburgh. Yeah. So I stayed with them for a couple of days. Um, and the company he works for had got a hotel at Drum the Drocket. Yeah. Which was on Loch Ness. And so I stayed there for a night. Um, and then I always take a tent and sleeping bag and uh, blow up mattress. And, yeah. And uh, on the way back from uh, John O'Groach, I stopped at Loch Fleet. And in Scotland, you can do while camping. Oh, right. So you can just as park, as park as up where you want to a degree. Well, it, it, yeah. Um, obviously, uh, it, I think the law is that if you don't damage the land, then you're fine. So, you know, I pitched my tent and there was a lock in front of me. I looked out from the, te- uh, the tent flap and uh, there was a mountain on the left there was the lock in front and then the setting sun on the right-hand side. And it was absolutely beautiful. There were a couple of camper vans. They came over and saw me. And really friendly, you know, wanted to know the age of the car and where I've been and where I'm going and, and all that sort of thing. So I'll pitch the tent and then I'll find that I've left the sleeping bag and the blood mattress back home in the garage. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, I always carry a couple of blankets, so I was able to make up a sleeping bag out of blankets and uh, warm my overalls and kept me warm, and it, it was yeah, really good night's sleep. Good. But uh, it does annoy my wife because I, uh, I can sleep standing upright, so <laughs> <laughs> wherever I am, I can go to sleep. So, yeah, so most of the times it was hotels. Um, other times I was camping. When I got to Launceston, I posted, uh, looked on uh, Booking.com, I think it was, and all the hotels were 20, 30 miles away. Yeah. So um, I just put a request on Facebook, you know, anybody in the Launceston area, can I uh, um, can I camp somewhere, you know, or can some, somebody put me up? Yeah. And, uh, again, Rory phoned his, his cousin's, got a farm down there so i stayed on the farm one night um, uh, in the, you know i pitched my tent in this field and and that that was it so yeah so you you, you carried on down to uh you carried on back down to land's end from there i conclude that's it yes yeah yeah on the way well the one failing i had um was uh, I'd forgotten that it was a bank holiday weekend. Yeah. <laughs> so the traffic was quite high. Um, when I got to Kendall, there was no rooms at all in any of the hotels. Yeah. So uh, that was the night I ended up sleeping in Josie. So, um, but the, the way I looked at it, people have been conceived in Austin 7. So lying quite safely, you know, and. Uh, relaxed and yeah so uh, yeah so i stayed that stay one night at this picnic spot and just uh, kept in the back of uh, back of josie so yeah it was good yeah 
So, and then then onwards to Land's End, I conclude, because you then have the pleasures of the uh, narrow Cordish lanes and things like that, wouldn't you? Which are, in many ways, the natural home of the Austin Seven. Well, yes, yeah. Uh, again, I mean, I did some of the blasts down the A30, um, but then some of the uh, Cornish lanes are quite hilly and, uh, you know, it's quite a few inclines. I mean, uh, yeah, it, it was it was uh, quite an experience going down there. Um, lands at, well, John O'Groats was fine. You can get there, get to the post, to take your own photo or get one of the bikers to do your photo or whatever. But when you get a Land's End, it's £7 to park the car. Then the bloke doesn't believe you've driven it just from John O'Groats. <laughs> then, then, then you can't get to the post. You have to pay 20 quid to a professional photographer to get your photograph taken. And uh, it's a little bit of a disappointment, but very touristy. And I can understand why they've got to make money from it. But, uh, yeah. I mean, I have been to Land's End, and it is, yes, we all have to make money, but there's making money and there's, uh, shall we say, being well and truly stitched at times, isn't there? Yes, yeah, yeah, I would have used another term. (laughs) (laughs) You thought, blimey, that's, you know. And then there was no car stickers, you know, Land's End, John O'Groats car stickers, so, uh, or John O'Groats Land's End car stickers. So, uh, yeah, I I left there a bit disappointed. Cornish passes were like five, five and a half quid. Blimey, I'm sure they don't. <laughs> but anyway, so. if you'd have nipped um, in the local petrol station, you'd probably find they were a lot cheaper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, very good. And uh, um, when I got up to Scotland, uh, went from Edinburgh to Drum the Drocket near Inverness, and uh, there was a guy there, uh, John Mackenzie, and. Uh, he lived on the Black Isle. Oh, yeah. And he's a keen Austin 7 um, follower. And it, I've been in contact with him on Facebook. And there's a bridge uh, over, I um, can't remember the name of it, um, but there's a bridge that he wanted to take photographs of uh, Josie going over it. So uh, I managed to liaise with him, and he was at a high viewpoint, took some photographs of uh, me and Josie. And then. Uh, met up with him underneath the bridge at the RNLI station and uh, he bought me breakfast and then I carried on. Right. Um, carried on up to Perth using the old side roads and, um, oh, hang on, that was, yeah, and then, oh, no, before Inverness, I met up with uh, Andrew Goodfellow at Blair Gowry. Yeah. And uh, his friend Paul and Paul's wife Sharon and... Uh, it was in the 1920... Ooh, I can't remember the age of it. It's a little chummy. Yeah. Um, and uh, they took me... I met them in Blair Gowrie and they took me over Braemar and Lecht and all the way to Tumentol. And it was terrific. I mean, again, the weather was cloudy and sunny and there was still snow on the mountains and it was absolutely awesome. We went over Lecht, which is the highest... Um, UK uh, public road. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, the, the roads were just terrific. Uh, again, you had to, some of the hills, I had to get down to second gear. Yeah. And uh, I'm conscious that the chummy behind me has only got three gears, so he's down the f- first gear on some of the, <laughs> some of the hills. 
But uh, Andrew Goodfellow's got a very fast um, Ulster. Yeah. And uh, so he was running ahead, overtaking us and taking pictures and videos as we come along the roads. And then uh, he'd, you know, overtake us again and take some more pictures. And yeah, so it was good fun. And he also presented me with a bottle of Glen Keith whiskey. So that was good. <laughs> now, if you if you study your uh, your your Facebook page uh, yeah. during the course of, I mean, it was two thousand and sixty four miles, yeah. which, yeah. Uh, given the roads that you were taking and the car you were driving, is yeah. a serious undertaking. Now, by the looks of it, you used sixty one point two two gallons of petrol, which I don't suppose is bad. No, no. Two oil changes, one for the engine and one for the gearbox, which equated to 11 pints of oil. Well, no, it was an oil change on both the engine and gearbox at both times. So All right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, five pints of oil for topping up. Yeah, I, I think that was mainly due to leaks. I mean, <laughs> Jen, Jen, she's 85 years old, so she's bound to be a little bit incontinent. And, uh, yeah, so... Uh, I mean, I've also got an old Land Rover, and if you haven't got an oil leak on it, then you, it needs topping up. Well, I was going to say, if, a land, if an old Land Rover stops leaking oil, it's for the simple reason it's not got any oil left in it to leak. It's run out, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah I, I mean, uh, again, I mean, you talk to those that are in the, in the Austin 7 fraternity, and, and there's a few of us that... that uh, know that if you sort that oil leak out, there will be another oil leak somewhere else. So, oh, yeah. You know, um, <laughs> there are certain people that want to make their Austin 7 engines completely oil tight, which is uh, a good achievement, but I'd much rather drive than faff about. Well, I, th I think back in those days, they didn't make engines to be oil tight, really, did they? No. And, and some of the seals that they fitted... It had sealed nicely for two or three weeks. After that, it reverted back to the seal that it had replaced. It leaked. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I also noticed you got through four Champion D16 spark plugs. Yeah. And uh, you had a, uh, you'd, you'd a couple of new egg gaskets. Well, um, when I was... Uh, I stopped off at Glasgow, went from uh, Erskine, and uh, went through... and. Uh, uh, East Kilbride and joined the old A6 and I was travelling up the A6 and I thought oh it's you know it's, it's gone down on power a little bit I mean when it was up in Scotland it was going through all these hills and yet yeah, fine no problem and then uh, I was getting no spark on two and three yeah. cylinders so uh, I being an electrician um, thought oh well it must be the disc cap or the rotor arm or you know so so i've tried all these things there's still no spark and then i took the spark plugs out and they were soaking wet yeah and it didn't smell of petrol it smelled of water and i looked down the barrel and sure enough there's there's water in there so that hence uh, i was getting no spark yeah so um i had to change the head gasket on the side of the road which luckily I'll, I'll keep spares anyway. I was going to say, it's a, I mean, it, it's a true old car enthusiast that travels with head gaskets, spare well, ones. Yeah, I mean, but I had head gasket, I had a carburetor, a distributor, a fuel pump, a fan belt, you know, all these things and gasket material and 
all the different gaskets and the head gasket because I mean it's you know it's something that could go. So yeah. Uh, but um, I mean, how long does it take you to change a head gasket on an Austin Seven? Well, it take it takes about an hour. By the time you've let everything cool down, I mean, <laughs> you could do it quicker, but. You, you've got to juggle the nuts around. <laughs> <laughs> when you undo them, they're bloody hot. Yeah. Um, but you, you know, the first thing is drain the system and then um, take the hose off the top and then uh, took the spark plugs out and uh, then just take the, uh, the nuts. There's 14 nuts that you've got to undo. Yeah. So I've put a new head gasket on, um, but I've since found out that I put a high compression head gasket on so it didn't seal properly yeah but uh, that got me all the way back home to well it was about 10 miles from home yeah and then it started running rough again i thought i know what that is <laughs> but but i limped home and uh, i've since changed the head gasket and yeah it was uh, there was no damage to the head gasket but it was letting by so water was getting into uh, i think cylinder three so uh, yeah but uh, so I've, I've since changed it for a, a thicker, low compression head gasket, and it's touch wood, it's working fine. He's ready to do the journey all over again. I wouldn't say that. No. <laughs> <laughs> People have asked me what's the next challenge. I have no idea. Oh, yeah. uh, I don't think I'll get furloughed for a couple of weeks to do that again. So uh, yeah, uh, I'm not sure. I mean, r- roughly, what what horsepower does the does does Josie generate? Well, jo- Josie generates about between twelve and thirteen horsepower. So <laughs> <laughs> some, some people start the motors are more powerful. Than that. <laughs> and, uh, but it's you know it'll cruise all day thirty five forty. Um, when it goes uphill, it'll be down to twenty. When it goes no, when it goes uphill, it's down to twenty. When it goes downhill, it can be up to 50 you know so yeah. uh, um and if it falls over a cliff and terminal velocity is 120 mile an hour but yeah. don't want to try that but <laughs> g- given given the famous austin 7 braking system you won't yeah. want to be going tremendously fast in an austin 7 because there could uh, of course come the time when you need to slow down and they are notorious exactly. for not slowing down particularly well no, you've got, you've got your foot pedal, which operates all four brakes, but also you've got your handbrake as well, which operates all four brakes. So if you're not applying enough pressure on your foot, you can always grab hold of the handbrake. And, you know, <laughs> the car, but you don't want to stop them too quickly because, again, they got spoke wheels. So, yes. You know, uh, <laughs> so... Yeah. I mean, what what is it about the Austin 7? I mean, we were saying before we went on air that uh, many a vintage car enthusiast or an old car enthusiast, um, you mentioned somebody you knew and somebody that I know, they have Bentleys, they have Rileys, but they, yeah. they nearly all have an Austin 7. What is the yeah. fascination for the Austin 7? Well, um, I, I think a lot, of the, um, a lot of the time it's the fact that it's... It, they're easy to work on and they're also a reminder of uh, a lot of people who had them in the 60s, 50s, 60s and 70s and they were like student cars. You could pick them up for five, fifteen 15 quid. And, uh, you know, it, it wasn't until the MOT arrived in, I think it was 66, that um, 
people used to use them. And then, I mean, you, you see some of the pictures, and the tyres are bald. Yeah. And they're not just bald, they're down to the canvas, you know, uh, and they're still driving them. And there was just so many things uh, easy to work on, easy to repair. Uh, you could go down the scrap dealer and buy a complete engine, you know. Um, in fact, I think it was a Gloucester Meteor uh, jet engine. Uh, the two of the guys went down to the local scrap dealer, bought two Austin 7 engines and made one good one out of it to start the first jet engine. <laughs> but, yeah, so, and there's all these stories about, you know, this this came into fruition because, you know, of their love for Austin 7s and making it simple. I mean, it, it is a, an easy car to work on. Some of things can be a bit fiddly, but, you know, that's part and part of it, part of it you know, so... And the other thing is the Austin 7. I mean, there were the Austin 7 Austins. There were the, shall we say, the purpose-built racing cars. But many an Austin 7, when it's a saloon car bodywork had given up the ghost, people took it off and put a a two-seater Ulster lookalike on. And, I mean... The, the, if you go to any vintage sports car club event, the the Austin Sevens are there in vast numbers. They still make cracking little racing cars. Exactly. Uh, there's a 750 Motor Club uh, which deal with the the, the uh, sports side of it. And uh, in the 50s and 60s, you could get a, a glass fibre handling body to go on an Austin Seven chassis. Um, there's a Pathé... Um, newsreel of somebody taking a, 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 a it didn't look too bad actually Austin 7 and then just ripping the doors off and the body off and put it within a week they got this handling body on it and it was it did look nice uh, and uh, you could get different sort of work, racing wheels I mean Colin Chapman started with an Austin 7 yeah. uh, making it lighter you know just add lightness and that was it he was you know drilling out flywheels and chassis members and all sorts of stuff and um uh, mclaren as well he, he was racing austin seven so um and you can still get ulster bodies uh you can still get um uh, made of aluminium others made of fiberglass um there's a guy in worthing um, Chris Gould, he still makes, uh, I think they're imp, which are based on um, uh, like a nippy, that sort of style, uh, but with a bigger boot and that sort of thing. So they are very easily adaptable. Um, and uh, that even now, you know, you, you look on Facebook and uh, all oh, this is my latest project and somebody's made a van, but with a demountable van body so they can use it as a special racer as well so um, I mean, I've even seen. I mean, obviously, I've even seen them at uh, certain race meetings with uh, plywood bodies. The front of it, the bonnet, etc., is there, but from yeah. the bulkhead backwards, they're they're plywood. Exactly. Well, I mean, you know, even um, Austin himself, he he realised that if you exported a car fully built you had to pay import duties so he would send off chassis and engines and wheels to australia and they would put their own body on it so that's how holden became uh, in australia and then they would send them to germany 
to a company called Dixie and they would put their own body on it. Uh, and Dixie became part of the BMW Motor Group. Yeah, uh, that's one of the things that BMW owners uh, tend to be, shall we say, somewhat surprised about if they haven't looked yeah. at the history, that uh, their their beloved Retmobile actually started life as an Austin 7. <laughs> 7. But the, the other thing is, they also own Mini now, um, you know, the, the Mini collection, and uh, the, the Minis, when they first came out, were called Austin 7s in homage to the Austin 7. Yeah. Uh, in the 60s um, and then he, he would send the, the, the chassis and engines and wheels to Rosengart in France and they would put their own body on uh, in America again it was uh, the American Austin or Bantam they were called but uh, yeah so he, he was well versed uh, sending them everywhere and uh, people putting their own bodies on um, in fact Swallow Sidecars started making their own they certainly did bodies. And uh, Swallow SS wasn't a good name to have after the Second World War, so uh, that became Jaguar. Yeah. So they started making, um, you know, some very nice, stylish, very stylish um, bodies on the on the uh, Austin Seven uh, chassis. And uh, I think you need another joint between the knee and the ankle to get in. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, they are quite snugly fitting, let's <laughs> put it that way, but very nice cars. Now, so, besides the two Austin 7s, I mean, what else, just very quickly, what else have you got? Well, I've got a 1962 Series 2 Land Rover, Yeah. Um, which when I rebuilt that quite a few years ago, everybody had green Land Rovers, so I painted it white with black lines, mm. so it's uh, like the Dictari sort of... Uh, uh, zebra stripes. Now there's a ray from the grave. I can remember watching Dak Dory as a kid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's called Lola. That's named after my eldest niece. Um, I've also got a 1927 Renault NN. Oh right, very nice. Yeah, which is slow as anything. <laughs> um, it's only a 950cc engine, but it's a big body. Yeah, uh, and it's convertible, so you know that's good. And that's called Liberty, named after my grandsons. Right. So, and just out of interest, did you get the Model T Ford? No, no, no. I, I, um, I, I do like the the history of it, and uh, but no, I haven't got room to park up a Model T. Ford. <laughs> Very, very tall, and my wife won't let me. <laughs> so, um, as it is, I mean, she, 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 she's a bit annoyed that she can't park her car on the driveway. <laughs> Parked up the driveway and covered over and uh, got a carport. So, uh, yes, uh, no, I haven't bought a Model T Ford. So she, must, she must dread you coming home with the latest classic car magazines and you're looking at the classifiers in the back of them. Well, uh, yeah, and, and eBay and uh, Car and Classic and even uh, the French sites, Le Bon Coin, and, you know, oh, I'm always looking at old cars. So uh, <laughs> just, just uh, I, I have found that there is a Model T place up near where my son lives in uh, near Oxford at Whitney. Yeah. And uh, I've always fancy popping in there, but I'm usually too busy. Just for a look. I mean, the favourite thing is, I'll call in here just for a look. Just for a look, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, I rate my marriage far too highly. <laughs> 
But, I mean, the other thing is as well, as time's going on, um, I used to review modding cars as part of my livelihood. But yeah. modding cars now actually bore me. And the more I spend time with classic cars and vintage cars and old cars as a whole, I just find them far more interesting and engaging and everything else. I know they have their faults, but, I mean, there is just something about old cars and classic cars, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, the, the good thing with an Austin 7 is the fact that you can work on it in a standard-sized garage. I haven't got a big, fancy garage with pit and, you know, engine hoist and that. I left the engines and gearbox in, in and out, you know, by hand. Yeah. Just the way it, way it is. And you've got that mixture of oil and water and if things go right, <laughs> <laughs> the smell, but, you know, and the petrol and, yeah, really, really does... And I think a lot of the um, older designs were a bit more quirky, like, you know, the Model T Ford no gear lever. Um, it was all done by foot pedals. Yeah. And your accelerator was on the um, steering wheel and, uh, you know, and bounce and retard and that sort of thing. So there's a different way of learning how a car drives and anticipating... And driving, I mean, you know, that's the thing. You you realise the Austin 7 brakes aren't 100%, but you can make them 95%, and that'd be no problem at all. Um, and with, with the modern um, coatings for the brakes, it's they do stop, you know, um, but they're not as good as, you know, there's no ABS fitted, there's no... Yeah, uh, no aids to help you stop. You, you you are anticipating and driving, and right, I'm going to slow down for this junction because I know it's a it's a bugger. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, so you you, you the actual uh, feeling of driving, and especially if you break down, you know, the amount of uh, 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 if I'd stopped in a modern car, then people would just carry on past, you know. But as soon as I see it, it's an 85-year-old car, the side of the road, the bonnet's up, bloke's got his overalls on. To the, oh, can I help, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, there was, where, where I stopped doing the head gasket, there was a farm around the corner. He said, if you need a hand, got a workshop around there with all the tools. I said, have you got Whitworth? He said, I probably haven't got Whitworth, but, it's little things like that. Um Josie's also been to Brittany, uh, and I broke down going to the French house um, from St. Marlo, and basically the, the gear lever snapped. Yeah. And um, so, again, on Facebook, you know, what, what, what ideas have people got? And somebody said, well, get, get a pair of mole grips, put it on the stump that's left, and you can use that and change gear, which is fine. But the mole grips fouled the bulkhead, so I couldn't get first gear or third gear so I was second and fourth <laughs> got at this um, place um, oh, Pontreau and lovely little quaint little uh, French town and I park outside the Mary and just going to have a cup of coffee and there were loads of people there and, and I explained you know where I was going to where I come from and what I was doing but I've got a slight problem and this French guy said uh, you can still drive. I said, yeah, I can still drive. Said, well, you follow me. I've got a welding set at home. Yeah. You know, anybody else, it would have been, right, okay, phone up the AA or, or 
whomever and uh, green flag or you know RAC and um, but he, so we went back to his house and welded up the gear lever put it in did a, went to give him some money 20 euros I think it was he said no 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 you just phone me that you've got home alright <laughs> you know really nice as pie and you meet so many people I mean like so I met Andrew and Paul and Sharon up in Scotland was in contact with Rory I was due to meet him but he was on the other side of the country or whatever um, I met Roland down in um, just south of Kidderminster he was in the 1934 no 33 uh, PD Tourer um, and escorted me down towards uh, Gloucester when I got to Gloucester I met up with uh, Tina and John who had been following me on Facebook. I mean, I didn't realise. <laughs> um, and they said, oh, well, we live five minutes down the road. Can we come on and have a drink and just meet you and talk to you? I said, yeah, fair enough, you know. Um, but so, yeah, everybody's been helpful. Even the drivers on the road have been really helpful. Because, I mean, uh, when you're travelling along the A68 and it is like a roller coaster road, brilliant road... But you've got Stonewall on the left and Stonewall on the right. No laybys, no nothing. Um, and it's very difficult to overtake. But most people were, I'd say 99.9% of people were, give you plenty of room and overtake. And, you know, really, really good. The state of people on the road, even in modern cars, they, they come across an old car and it's like, got to overtake. Oh, it's not safe to do so yet, but. They were really good, so I, I can't fault on the modern drivers. I think it would create so much paperwork anyway. <laughs> Jess Porton, it's, Jess Port, we could have we could probably carry on for another hour at this. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I thank you for joining me on the Backseat Driver Radio Show? It's been absolutely fantastic chatting to you. And uh, anybody who wants to follow you, Jez Parton, G-E-Z-P-A-R-T-O-N, look for him on Facebook. He will be there with Josie and Poppy. Once again, Jez Parton, thanks so much for joining me on the Backseat Driver Radio Show. on price never beaten on service whether it's cars bikes or commercials Hoddy tires are the best in the business and when it comes to tire expertise and advice to supplying the correct tires for your vehicle specific requirements nobody comes close to david lakin and the Hoddy tires team so give them a call on 01200 613 192 or visit the website at hoddytires.co.uk 